0: but I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow gonna be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, There's this thing called new normal. I, th- I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is gonna be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late.
1: Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviours can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey, welcome back to episode 13 of the Reach podcast. We're going back to part two of the Jeff Valance interview. If you remember Jeff from episode 10, uh, we talked a lot about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, rock climbing, gyne- lo- gynecological cancers, and a ton of different stuff. And this episode is, is the exact same. Uh, we start off with talking about this really, really interesting study they've got going up on up in Canada, called the Amber Study, where they're looking at fifteen hundred cancer patients, and they're going, uh, they're looking at various markers from biological markers all the way up to um, uh, quality of life and things like that, all the way out to ten years into survivorship, and they're using a lot of really sophisticated biomarkers and measurements of body composition and body fat uh, to see how all of those kind of play a role in. Uh, breast cancer recurrence or cancer recurrence and uh, mortality. So really, really cool study there. I was fascinated to listen to it and I'm sure you will be too. Um, and then we also dive into just the field as a whole and how, you know, this. if you've been listening to the podcast, the common theme keeps coming up in this idea of translation because we know so much about the field now. The real goal is to just get the information out there. So another really cool initiative they've got going on up in Canada is that they're looking to develop a network of cancer exercise centers and see if they can uh, kind of de- develop this central database of every cancer-related facility that's out there and available to cancer patients survivors. And so that's gonna go on across, all across Canada uh, for the next few years. It's a really cool initiative that Jeff and, and some of the top researchers in the field that are up in Canada are, are getting together to do as well. So really cool initiative there we chatted about. and. Um, Jeff, you know, he's got a ton of experience in the field, so he just kind of talks a little bit about how we can improve our studies, how we can get better generalizability out of our studies and just really how we drive the field forward. So we just have a really good chat about where we're at as a whole and how we want to move forward in, in the research. So again, it was a great chat for me. I learned a lot. I love someone like Jeff who just has so much passion and has got a wealth of knowledge to complement that. So uh, it was really informative for me to listen to. I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, we'll get straight to the interview, and we'll catch you at the end of the show. But let's talk about this amber study because when you talk about the challenges of research to get five hundred participants is an incredible achievement, and you know you're looking at a whole host of of variables and you're looking at breast cancer outcomes so so let's give us a bit of a breakdown about that study um it's
0: actually 1500 um survivors 1500 yeah i think what you're referring to there we we published a paper that um we're just looking at the first 500 that we recruited and and looking at um things like recruitment and adherent or you know looking at completion of of the baseline assessments and and things like that but this is a a huge trial where the light is finally shining at the end of the tunnel i think we just had a meeting last week and um but yeah anyways it's called the amber study it's called the moving uh, sorry the alberta moving beyond breast cancer cohort and we received a a cihr which is our federal funding body up here canadian institutes of health research we received a cihr team grant for that um that was in the amount of 2.5 million dollars and We've spent all that. Now we're um, we're getting we're seeking more funds to kind of help us um, finish off the trial and, and do some of the other um, analyses that we're we're looking to do with, for example, the the blood assays and things like that. But um, yeah, so in in Edmonton and Calgary, we're we're recruiting uh, newly diagnosed women uh, with breast cancer, and so we recruit them right from the time that that they're diagnosed. Um, you know they've had their surgery uh, and then you know there's usually kind of a you know anywhere from a two or a three week window um, in between their surgery and the time that they start their treatment. so depending on if they're going on to chemo or if they're going straight to RT um, so we recruit them there and um, one of the strengths of this study is that um, we have for the most part gold standard measures and all of the outcomes that we're interested in so for example Uh, you know max vo2 um, dexa scans for drawing bloods Um, of course we have our patient reported outcomes so things like quality of life and and depression Um, all women are wearing a actigraph accelerometer as well as an active pal inclinometer so we're going to get outstanding measures of sitting as well as um, mdpa with with the two different devices Um, the actigraph doesn't do a great job at giving us an idea of of sitting. So that's why we're running with the two devices. Um, And then, you know, there's Margie McNeely's on the study. She's in charge of the lymphedema. So everybody's getting um, their arms measured by a parameter. So we're going to be able to look at, um, you know, how uh, lymphedema changes throughout the course of of treatment and into survivorship and what factors affect that. we're assessing all these women on all these variables, uh, at right at that pre-treatment time point. And then we're getting them, uh, uh, one year from there. So, uh, pretty close to after, after their treatment. And then we're getting them also at, at three years and at five years. So we've got four different measurement time points and then we're following them for another five years. So we're going 10 years out now and looking for clinical outcomes such as uh, recurrence and. And mortality both cancer related and non-cancer related so you know just by you know thinking about all those different uh exposures that we're that we're measuring you know you you can really start to see the unique research questions that we're going to be able to um to address in in such a nice sample size of, of 1500 individuals now obviously when we get to that you know three and five year time point we probably won't have 1500 there'll be some drop off but nonetheless it'll be a it'll be a very nice sample size with some outstanding measures and we'll be able to um look at some research questions that i think have been nagging us for for quite some time
1: that's it's it's so exciting to hear something like that and as you said of of just the the size alone i think it's really going to be some groundbreaking worker in our field that's going to get people to stand up and pay attention and we talk about trying to advocate for for physical activities as a standard of care this could be one of those ones that really changed the game in that regard because you're looking at so many people and you're looking at so many powerful measures that you know particularly the biomarkers that i think can get lost at times that will help us become I don't want to say more credi- credible but certainly the medical community will tend to pay it more attention in my view at least of the biomarkers compared to you know quality of life and I think that that's a unique piece that there as well.
0: Well and even I mean I was just at SBM, Society of Behavioral Medicine down in San Diego last month and, and there was a couple of really good talks by um, Karen Mustian's group. She's uh, in Rochester, New York and and they're finally starting to, um, not, I don't mean that, you know, they are finally, I mean, we, we, in general, we are finally starting to look at maybe, you know, what are some of these, uh, physiological mechanisms through which exercise might be impacting things like fatigue. And, And that was one of the studies she presented. So they're looking at, now I'm not a physiologist and I'm not up on my, on my, uh, muscle physiology and and, and, and blood related stuff. But they're looking at things like IL6 and cytokines and and seeing if that might be um, you know one of the pathways through which you know exercise is impacting the muscle and then the muscle physiology is impacting fatigue. And and so we'll be able to do something similar here by having those measures as we'll be able to look at some of these more um, sophisticated uh, pathways or mechanisms through which Um, you know, we, you know, let me go back, I I guess it might help us to explain um, some of these underlying mechanisms for a lot of these associations that we've been seeing for the last 15 to 20 years. You know, I I mentioned Karen's group there, they they had some, some abstracts presented in that area. And those are, you know, some of the first that I've seen, I I, I suspect there's a a bit more out there as well. But, um, you know, for example, I mean, we know that, mvpa is is a strong predictor of, of things like physical and physical function and functional well-being and you know but by having you know dexa scans and getting all the detailed information you know fat mass fat free mass bone density um you know having the blood draws and you know being able to look at you know hemoglobin and 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 things like that we can maybe start to tease out you know well, why is it that mvpa or sedentary time is impacting things like physical and functional well-being you know because we've always said well you know we we, you know we can't apply causation we don't know that um, physical activity causes higher functional well-being and but by having all of these different variables that are measured quite quite you know in a quite sophisticated way um, we can start to do some of that stuff
1: yeah, that's brilliant. And, you know, as you talk about Karen Mustia, and obviously for me, Lee Jones is one of the ones that comes to mind. And yeah. he he's really excited. I'm going to be able to get him on the show in the fall, hopefully. But uh, just some of the work he's done in terms of tumor biology. And can you imagine the power of replicating some of that animal data in humans in that exercise can modify how the treatment is received and, and it can improve vasculature and really increased the delivery of treatment and um, you know you talk about that lymphoma study you're on uh, that's the one that kind of looked at uh chemo completion rate way back in 2007
0: that was the start trial and that was you know i mean call a spade a spade that was a bit of a spurious finding i mean that's not something that we we uh we planned or or we um you know, it wasn't, it wasn't one of the primary outcomes of the study, but we but we did have the data on, now this was the supervised trial of, of aerobic and resistance training for chemotherapy. And we did have the relative dose intensity um, for all of the women on trial. So that's an indication of how much chemotherapy that they received. And, you know, the oncologist will will prescribe your chemotherapy and um, obviously the goal is to deliver a hundred percent of that chemotherapy, but for various reasons, I mean, not all women get a hundred percent, they might get 79% or 89%, you know, if there's any types of complications or anything like that. And, and yeah, so what we found there was, I believe it was the women in the resistance training group had a, had a, uh, a higher uh, relative dose intensity than than women in the aerobic or the usual care group. So they received more of their planned chemotherapy or they were able to tolerate it better. Now whether that's a function of, of doing resistance training and strengthening your body as opposed to strengthening your um, your heart and your lungs through aerobic training, I mean, you know, we, we don't quite know but um, But yeah, going back to Lee Jones, I mean, I was, I was lucky I, I did, we did our PhDs at the same time in the same lab and um, he graduated a couple years before me, but he hung around for a postdoc for a couple years. So, you know, I was there when, when Lee was talking about, um, you know, a crazy idea of of getting mice and getting a mouse treadmill and let's put mice on treadmill. Let's um, give them a tumor and let's put them on anthracycline based chemotherapy and we're all just thinking, you know, Lee, you're, you're crazy. And, um, (laughs) the the paper was published, uh, I don't know, 2007 and, oh boy, clinical cancer research maybe. Um, yeah. Looking at, um, you know, how does exercise impact, um, the tumor and, you know, oxygenation and, and stuff like that. And, um, that was Lee and, and John Mackey who was a medical oncologist at uh, in Edmonton at, uh, at the time he's still there but you know you know Lee's one of those people who who are, are thinking about those things you know I'm thinking about things like quality of life and depression and and sedentary time and and Lee's thinking about you know what's happening to the tumor you know when people are exercising right and what's happening to the heart in terms of you know, the cardiotoxic effects of, of some of these types of chemotherapy and how does exercise maybe blunt or, or impact that. So, you know, it's, it's critical work on, on all facets of the spectrum, I guess, but um, we need people like Lee to be to, to be thinking about those types of research questions.
1: That's an interesting point because at last year's ACSM, the question came up of of how do we drive this field forward and, and uh, where do we focus our efforts? And ultimately, the consensus was that we don't need to focus our efforts because we've got so much diversity of field in that you've got Lee Jones interested in the, in the physiological mechanisms of, of exercise and treatment. You've got folks like you who are looking at just getting people active and, and the kind of psychosocial response and, and how people can get and stay active and looking at recurrence. And then you've got other people who are interested in, in really optimizing the uh, exercise protocol to, to optimize outcomes. So I think it needs that diversity of approaches and, and really when you come you go out and do your your own thing and you come back together and present this as a whole it's a really powerful picture of 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 what exercise can do and why this needs to be as part of our standard of care in 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 cancer.
0: Yeah and you know you mentioned uh, earlier on like there there's so much going on right now like I remember even 10 years ago like there was only a small handful of people and and you kind of knew everybody, you know, Laura Rogers and, and, uh, Anna Schwartz and, um, you know, people like that, like there was a very small handful of people that were, that were publishing in the area. And and now we're at the point where it is almost impossible to to keep up with, with what's going on. I mean, you know, you, you need to go into PubMed every day to, um, to find out what's going on and what's coming out. And, um, and people that you that you haven't heard of which is great right there's more and more people that are getting interested um, in this area and um you know I, I guess not being able to keep up on the literature i guess that's kind of a good problem to have because it just uh um you know it's all adding to the to the body of evidence
1: you've been you've been at the forefront of, of trying to translate all of this research into practice and it's something that something i look up to greatly and obviously want to emulate can you speak to some of the work you've been doing with with open canada in working with these different researchers and trying to you know get something practical out of what we're finding
0: yeah and I, i certainly think that's obviously one of the the areas where we've we've dropped the ball a little bit you know i guess as as academics we um we publish our paper and we tweet it out or put it on you know, one of the academia social websites, and, and we think that that's knowledge translation, and we go back to, to square one and, and plan the next study, right? And um, I think right now you're starting to see a big push in the area of knowledge translation. I know up here in Canada we are. Um, there's some pretty solid initiatives going on right now through, through the different um, health-related funding agencies and government bodies that are really putting a premium on, on knowledge translation. What we're doing in Canada, I can speak to one initiative that um, uh, just got underway. We, we actually had our first meeting, uh, I guess it was about three three weeks ago in, in Toronto, and it's being led by um, Dr. Kathy Saviston, who's at the University of Toronto. And um, we received, um, I was involved in, in the study a little bit, we received a some funding from the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation. I guess, I guess the primary goal of, of the initiative was to get the information that we have out there, and it involves bringing in different, or it involved bringing in different stakeholders, and you know, oncologists and nurses and kinesiologists, and kind of get getting everybody on board and and get re- getting everybody on the same wavelength. Um, what we started with was kind of an investigator meeting in Toronto, and and we kind of established this exercise and cancer network. Um, I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but um, the name that we did have for that meeting was called the X cancer. So E X backslash cancer. Um, so it was the X cancer meeting and, and there was about 13 or 14 of us there. And, um, you know, Carrie joined us. We had Nicole Koulos-Reed, Daniel Santamina. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the key people that are doing work in, in Canada in this area were, we're all there in the same room or on the line and we were just kind of, you know, hashing out or or trying to develop some strategies moving forward where as opposed to all of us just kind of working in our own little worlds, you know, is there a way that we can all work together a little bit more effectively? Um, and so we decided that there was and uh, and we're pursuing that right now. But just to give you an idea of one of the things that we're I think we are going to do is um, what we're doing is we're. We're going to go, and they've done this in a lot of the cancer centers in, in Ontario already, but we're, we're now going to take it across to the different provinces in Canada, is you know seeing what cancer centers actually have, you know fitness related facilities for cancer survivors, What cancer survivors have opportunities for, for people who are being treated there to engage or participate or get started in, a, in an exercise or physical activity program. Um, so we're going to kind of take an inventory across the country of, of what the opportunities are. And you can kind of foreshadow the opportunities, I think, are going to be very minimal, but at least getting a handle on exactly what we're dealing with. And because I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you, you can you can say, you know, farewell to to the individual that you've been treating for six, six months and and say you're clear and good to go. And by the way, you know, maybe go... Go see a, a kinesiologist down at your your local yeah. gym. Um, at the end of the day, that doesn't work, and I think we need to do. I think we need to be a little bit more sophisticated, and you know, the push has always been to to move towards distance based activity um, promotion methods, and and I've done some work there too, and but I'm starting to think that maybe we do need to be a little bit more hands on and a little bit more intensive in our strategies towards you know, working with cancer survivors to get them active. So, you know, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, what we all want to see is, um, you know, a beautiful facility in, in every cancer center and every treatment center where, um, much like you can go to your chemo teaching, um, you know, down the other end of the hallway is where, you know, the two certified exercise specialists are, and, and they can sit down and talk with you about activity and, um, take an inventory of how active you are. Maybe do some motivational interviewing to find out, you know, what prevents you from being active. What are you scared of? What are some of your barriers? And you know, kind of creating a bit, a bit of a, a plan for these people. And and even then, not just sending them off, but you know, having them come back and and maintaining that relationship. And I just think it really needs to be a part of uh, a part of care, and, and not just something you know, extra that some individuals might have access to. It depends on where you are and where your, your treatment center is, right? If you're diagnosed with breast cancer in Edmonton, chances are there's a, a pretty good randomized trial going on right now that you can participate in. Um, if you're diagnosed in, gosh, I don't want to name any, any <laughs> specific centers because I could be wrong, but... Um, if you're diagnosed in another uh, city in Canada, where I know for a fact that there, there are no programs, you're not going to have any opportunity. You're not going to have any chance to participate in any type of activity program that is supervised. Um, you know, it's one-on-one, it's intensive, it's, it, it's not just a, a pamphlet on walking and, and here you go and it's fun and it's easy, right? Because it's not, because you've just been through cancer treatment
1: yeah exactly and as you're talking there you know a couple of things came to my mind first this idea of of getting an inventory of facilities and centers and you know in my mind i was kind of saying if if someone could have a central database of that talk about changing the game because obviously one of the most often questions i get asked is people email you from all over the country and say hey i'm in rural kentucky or i'm in delaware what's what can i do and i kind of go i have no idea i have no idea who's around you i don't know if there's anyone certified or an expert and so at minimum just the just the thought of having somewhere where people can go and reference these places is is such an incredible and invaluable tool and then you know as you were talking about (laughs) you're you're just dreaming you know you're you're describing this center and and this idea of of this cancer rehab center and it's beautiful and what what's so exciting for me in in where we are are at in our field is you know we're pushing this huge rock up a hill but there will be a turning point at some point whether that's five ten fifteen years down the line where it will just take off and we will see those centers pop up everywhere and to me that's the most exciting part of being where we're at right now is that we're seeing the growth and as you said we're seeing people pop up all over the country and all over the world doing research in this area and yeah. you know at some point that's going to take off and and you know to be a part of that movement is just so exciting. I think
0: you know when we get to the point where we have some really good cost effective cost effectiveness data I think that that might be one of the points where where the, uh, you know, the administration of, of these centers might start to take notice. Um, you know, in Alberta, we're pretty lucky here. Like we've got some really, really good people working, you know, you've got people from, from Christine Friedenreich, who's prevention, um, you know, does some post-diagnosis work as well to carry. Um, and then you've got, um, one person I haven't mentioned is Nicole Koulos-Reed, who's at the University of Calgary and, and she's more on that, um, kind of programming end of the spectrum. And, you know, she's got a great, uh, initiative right now with, with Margie McNeely, who's at the University of Alberta. And that's called the ACE program, the Alberta Cancer and Exercise Program. And, um, they're establishing all these programs in, in the local YMCAs across the province. Um, so they're training exercise, uh, specialists who are in these YMCAs, and it's going to be a, um, a free program that people can go in and, and, um, and get a 12 week, um, program that's specifically geared towards, towards cancer survivors. So, you know, there is some of that, that work going on. Unfortunately, I I think we need, I think we need more of it. I think the Live Strong program is another one that's kind of taken off. I think that's more down, down in your neck of the woods. We haven't seen that much up here, but, um, I think that's delivered through the the YMCA's. Is that correct? And that's a that's an initiative for for cancer survivors to.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And and you you know we'll, you talk about some of the frustrations you have with the field. I think the Live Strong Foundation is, is great, and it is implemented in most YMCA's, and it is a free exercise program. But oftentimes the folks who are delivering it uh don't have the expertise that I think is required as you said to work with these patients and oftentimes you you walk into some of these centers and quite frankly the program just falls by the wayside because there's not that promotion of it there's not a lot of collaboration between the wise and various oncologists and physicians so it, it's one of those areas that is it's a great initiative but a lot could be done to really improve it and and get it to where get it to what it could be and what they hope it want it it's going to be right so <laughs> let let's move on, and you've touched on a few of these, but there's areas of research or there's areas of exercise oncology that 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 can be improved. Can you share, you know, some of your frustrations or or where you think areas that we really really need to strengthen as we move forward, and and where we've kind of dropped the ball a little bit?
0: Well, we've touched on it a bit, and that's um, we need to really think about the types of people that are. Coming into coming into the different trials that we have doesn't mean excluding people, but it means making a bit more of a concerted effort to get people from all walks of life. And I'm not just talking about people who are obese versus normal weight. I'm talking about um, you know non-Caucasian people. You know, up here in Alberta, it's 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 very multicultural, different uh, backgrounds, different ethnicities, and um, still the people coming into these trials are largely um, Caucasian. Um, you know, probably doesn't. It's probably not very generalizable to um, to some other different um, groups out there. So we need to make a better effort to get to get lots of people from different walks of life into these studies and different, um, also from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different demographics. You know, like I said, one of these reviews that I'm doing with um, with Vim uh, Gruen and Vim Van Harten in Amsterdam is. Is looking at distance-based interventions, and we're just kind of doing a um, taking an inventory of these different interventions and, and looking at you know what you know what are the demographics here, um, you know what are the clinical characteristics of these groups that are in these studies, and we find that it's quite homogeneous, right? Ninety odd percent are Caucasian, and the average BMI is is really you know I think it was only twenty-seven point two and you know, I mean, that's that's hardly barely into the overweight group, but we know that a good portion of people with breast cancer are are overweight or obese. Um, you know, when we look at the actual physical activity outcomes from those different interventions, uh, we find that the impact is very small. Uh, many of the studies have no impact whatsoever. Other studies are showing, you know, anywhere from, you know, eight minutes a week to, you know, 200 minutes a week. Like, it's just wildly variable. Um, and I guess that comes to my third point. So, I guess my second point is, I don't think our distance-based interventions are, are very good. We haven't really shown, um, um, we haven't really shown that we've done a good job at, at getting these individuals to be active. Um, and then that leads to the Third point, which is, I think a lot of this might have to do with the way that we're measuring things, right? So still, most of these studies are are using self-reported methods. Most of the studies use the IPAC, you know, to assess physical activity behavior change in these interventions. We have way better ways of measuring physical activity, and in particular, different types of physical activity, whether it's light, moderate, or vigorous. Um, so maybe stepping up. In terms of the way that we're measuring these these different outcomes, might give us a better idea of of what's happening in these um, in these interventions.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I think from my perspective, one of the obviously folks' budget plays a large role in that. You know, a questionnaire is a lot cheaper and easier to to, to administer than than uh, accelerometers. But I think one of the one of the frustrations for me is that I see folks who are new to the field without doing a comprehensive evaluation of what's been done so far. And so they kind right. of replicate a study that's been done five or six years ago and, and it's it's great because it, it really, you know, supports the previous findings. But I also think we need to have, you know, more collaboration and more people who are newer to the field appreciate what's been done and build on that as opposed to just, right. you know, aerobic exercise gets you fitter during cancer. We're, we, we have a pretty good grasp on that. Let's look to, to really drive the field forward.
0: A lot of the, I um, when you do these types of reviews, it, it's kind of an eye-opener. Uh, you know, you're, you're going through a paper and, and you're you're trying to find the mean BMI, and, and sometimes you've got to just read between the lines to find something as simple and straightforward as the mean body, max, body mass index of, of the group um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the studies that the methods aren't strong. We're still seeing a lot of, um, you know, single armed interventions with small sample sizes and no sample size calculations. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff out there that it makes it hard to draw any conclusions whatsoever from a lot of the work that's being done. And, we really need to do a better job if, if we want to at least draw some conclusions out of the work that's being done. We need to, at the very minimum, um, appropriately design our studies and have some, not perfect measures, but some appropriate measures of, of what it is that we're interested in. My research is not the holy grail either. Um, you know, our, our my old uh, action trial, which was published in JCO in 2007, Um, We had pedometers, uh, but our main outcome was physical activity, and it was measured by self-report, right? Um, And then even my most recent uh, proactive trial, uh, that was the one, the distance-based intervention um, during chemotherapy, we found no impact of our physical activity resource kit. And again, that was pedometers and and self-reported physical activity. So, um, you know, when I talk about our studies needing to be better and more rigorous I certainly include my work in there as well 15 20 years ago I mean we were we were kind of walking on eggshells right with with experimenting with exercise and cancer survivors and um you know then the ball got rolling and and we we realized that this was you know something that that these individuals could do and they can do it very well and they can get benefit from it and you know back then it was still you know you you had to get, you know, oncologist clearance to, to be active in, in, the, in the trial. And, and even now, like, I see, you know, and I, I, could, I could be totally wrong in this. I don't know. But I still hear a lot of things about, you know, before a, a survivor is going to go be active or start a program, they got to go see their doctor or they got to go see their oncologist. And, clearance and get clearance to, to be active. First of all, your family doc probably doesn't know anything about. Now I'm not I'm not grouping them all into one boat, but but we've demonstrated there's lots of research showing that you know frontline GPS they don't know a whole lot about physical activity and exercise, right? Last I checked, you don't you don't need to go to the doctor to to put one foot in front of the other and <laughs> yeah. and to start to move more. And maybe what I'm saying here is is really controversial and people don't like it, but um. I think I think we've I think we've medicalized exercise maybe a little bit too much. Um, now I understand, you know, you know if you're if you're looking at uh, you know prehabilitation for people scheduled for lung cancer resection and and you want to ex- you know like Lee Jones has done some of that work. I understand stand there you've got a highly fragile group of people and um, yeah you want to make sure you're not doing more harm than good. But I'm talking about breast cancer survivors, prostate cancer survivors. You know, you look at Patricia Gans's work, you know, looking at five, ten year survivorship profiles for breast cancer, and these people are largely back to normal, right? They don't have any lingering symptoms. And you know, so so why do why do we need to medicalize walking or dog walking or yeah. or, or wall climbing? Like why like I said, last I checked, you, you don't need a doctor's note or a prescription to get a pair of jo- uh, walking or jogging shoes and to start yourself on a, you know, 15 minutes a day, build up to 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Now you want to try a slow jog. I mean, even if you did have hypertension, if you were overweight or obese, if you did have some cardiometabolic um, risk factors. Isn't exercise something that you should be doing, regardless? <laughs> yeah, right?
1: yeah. I That's mean, what are the point.
0: odds? It, it's yeah. It, it's kind of like that. You know, you, you hear the reports of, uh, you know, are the are the you know the snow shoveling is my favorite in the winter. We I don't know. I I suspect you get that down in uh, in Ohio as well. You know, whenever whenever you get the big snowfalls, you get some weird report showing that um, you know, shoveling snow puts you at an increased risk for a heart attack. Right. Um, but the, the good is certainly going to be outweighing the, the bad, right? So I, we really don't, if you look at all the work we've done with different chronic diseases, I mean, diabetes, renal failure, um, kidney disease, cancer, stroke, HIV, you name it. I mean, there's, there's lots of exercise interventions right now showing that exercise is good for for all sorts of chronic diseases. So, I, so it it just bugs me a little bit when when we're still talking about you know sending people to their oncologists to get to get the green light to start a to start a physical activity program.
1: You've had a tremendous wealth of experience working with a variety of different cancer patients, survivors. Um, Overall, what do you see? What do you you know, what's your impression of patients and survivors um as you work with them? Maybe some misconceptions they have about exercise or or you know, anything like that?
0: You know, whenever I give a, a talk somewhere, I always start off with a slide. It's a picture of the very, very first lady that was um was randomized in our start trial, the supervised trial of aerobic and resistance training for women on chemotherapy. And um and her her name was Malvine, she was seventy Oh, I think she was 76. But she had a lot of high risk features and a bit of a bigger lady. And, and they thought that she'd be able to tolerate the chemo. And, and so she was, um, she was actually randomized to the, well, let me backtrack. I I was meeting her um, for all of her baseline testing appointments. And we we're walking up to the DEXA scan, which is on the second floor. And we start going up and she, she stopped after about three steps. And, and I look back thinking, Oh, my goodness, what's wrong? And And she said, oh, I just, you know, I just got to take these things slowly. And she was out of breath. Right. And, you know, so she anyways, she was randomized to the resistance training program. And and we were all a little bit worried. I mean, you know, this this individual couldn't walk upstairs and we we started second guessing ourselves a little bit. And anyways, she was on taxane based chemo for six months. And I think it ended up being on trial three days a week. There was a possibility of something like ninety two supervised one-on-one exercise sessions in, in the fitness center and she had hundred percent adherence. You know, up to that point, I mean, even in undergrad, right? I mean, it's all, it's all textbook. It's, you know, lit reviews and papers and you, you don't, you don't actually do a lot of work at least in my, my training uh, before my PhD, I didn't do a lot of hands-on work, but this was actually the first time where I saw somebody you know, starting chemo, starting on a fitness program, seeing what they were like before, and seeing the change over six months, and it was the first time that I really saw the the power that that exercise and physical physical activity can have, um, as opposed to just you know reading about it in a in a textbook, right? Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is is that exercise is has, you know, I, I remember um, uh, Neil Eaves was a fellow I. Did my PhD with these. Um, he's done quite a work with Lee Jones as well. He's um, at UBC and I remember Neil Eve saying that uh, you know cancer is or sorry not cancer exercise is is, is a drug. It has it has the, the potency of a of a drug. It does incredible things to the body. So I just always remembered when when Neil said that it kind of struck a chord with me and and seeing Malvine go through her treatment and go through her resistance training program and and seeing the power that. That exercise has, and and that's really I think what got me kind of hook line and sinker into into this area. And I always think back to that um, that individual. And of course, there were other ones that that came after that where you can just see the change physically, and um, you can just see the change in these people. And um, so that, that's something that you know I I hope I never lose, and I hope you know people. Kind of realize that as well that physical activity is is incredibly powerful and it, and I think really think it has the chance to to change people's lives whether you're going through cancer treatment or whether you don't have cancer whether you maybe have a different chronic disease or whether you're just a couch potato and you want to get up and be active physical activity is incredibly incredibly powerful and I guess it's it's, it's exciting to be on the ground floor in 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 the cancer and exercise area as well because we get to explore a lot of these really interesting and neat uh, research questions that we don't we don't really know a whole lot about yet.
1: So there may be professionals or, or folks in the Allied health care area that are interested in working with cancer patients or survivors listening. Uh, do you have any advice for those folks who are listening and you know any anything you've learned from working with cancer patients and survivors from you know from a professional perspective,
0: I don't know about advice, but I, I certainly want to put out a plea for help because we need, we we need their help. I think there's been a real disconnect between, um, the academics and the people on the front lines. And, um, we, we need to, we need to work together and I think we need to do a, a a much better job at, at working together in, in these types of, of initiatives. You know, a lot of the times, you know, the allied health professional is kind of the one that's seen as kind of the gatekeeper to recruitment and you need that person to help with recruitment. And um, but, you know, the you know, the nurses, the nurse onco- oncologists, um, the ones that we've worked with, you know, have an incredible amount of knowledge when it comes to treatment, treat, treatment symptoms, uh, you know, cancer treatment trajectories and you know that we really need to to do a better job at um at at partnering um in terms of in terms of words of advice you know don't don't be afraid to to encourage somebody to be active and to to start slow and you know and when in doubt i mean you know usually in in your in your cancer center or your hospital you know usually that you can find a a physical therapist or a physiatrist or um, a physiotherapist, um, even you know the friendly registered. My wife's a registered dietitian, so um, <laughs> e- even your dietitians are really good at um, at helping with things like um, exercise and and physical activity. You know, so it, I, I think my my words of advice are are um, let's all communicate, let's do a better job at communicating and getting all hands on deck and getting the appropriate expertise and because it, it ultimately and it benefits the, the patient in the end
1: yeah and I'll, I'll expand on on your your point of communication is, is a really important one because you kind of mentioned in your first point that nurses tend to have the you know a much greater experience or an understanding of, of the disease and, and the treatments and there's only so much you can read about chemotherapy or radiation and you, you don't really understand it unless you're working with folks like that day to day and you see what they go through day to day and you see the side effects. And, and as you said, maintaining that communication with them and being open enough to look for their expertise and, hey, what does this look like? And what what can I expect when I'm working with these people and what may they experience? That's going to be, you know, it, it's a phenomenal thing that ACSM has this cancer certified certified exercise trainer certification but that's not enough that's your starting point you know that gives you an overview and so by a by being open enough in in your area of expertise is going to be in exercise and physical activity and being able to communicate and work with folks whose expertise is in cancer and its treatment will certainly you know serve to improve the prescription or, or or the program for the cancer survivor themselves
0: I think the allied health professionals need to be giving us advice. I think it's probably the other way
1: around. We've been been coming up on a couple hours here. And listen, I cannot thank you enough, Jeff, for for all of your insight. It's been a phenomenal chat for me. Where can uh, people find you or where can people follow your work? Okay, but
0: first, before I forget, Mike Lang, if you go to YouTube and just type in Cancer Bridges, all in uh, one word, um, it should pop up. And his name is Mike Lang, L-A-N-G, and there's a whole host of um, uh, different YouTube uh, videos there. Um, Again, he's primarily using kind of storytelling and outdoor adventure type-based activities in terms of um, kind of facilitating communication with with young adult cancer survivors. That's Mike Lang with Cancer Bridges. Um, You can find me, uh, I'm I'm on Twitter, probably a little bit too much. (laughs) And, um, my, uh, heck, what do you call What do you call uh, my, is it my, my handle handle? That's right. Is Jeff Bals, J E F F V A L L A N C E. And, um, my emails, probably a better way to get, get me is Jeff V at Athabasca U dot C A. And I think if you type my name in Google, you'll, you'll find my, my homepage there as well. We have our. We also have our exercise and breast cancer book as well. That's out and available right wow, now. Wow, brilliant! Yeah, called Fight Breast Cancer with Exercise, and that's published by myself and Carrie Kernie. And if you go to Chapters or Amazon, uh, you can find it there. Um, and then there's also an ebook version in iTunes. So if you just type in Fight Breast Cancer with Exercise. I think it's $1.99. Um, you can download that to your iPad and it's an interactive uh, resource for uh, people who have had breast cancer.
1: That's a brilliant resource and I'll make sure i put links to that in the description. And likewise, with the, I appreciate you reminding me of the Mike Lang. I'll put his, his link in there too. So that's it for another episode. A huge thanks to Jeff for giving me almost two hours, if not more than that, of his time i really uh (laughs) i squeezed the guy for everything he had in terms of of exercise and college so again just a great chat and, and a huge thanks to jeff i'll put all of his links to his website the university's website and again mike lang really interesting dude i'll put his link in there as well and you can put them or you can find them in the in the show notes below and hey i really appreciate people tuning in i'm getting so much good feedback that it just keeps reinforcing my My desire to keep doing these podcasts and it really tells me that there's a need for something like this. So uh, keep an eye out for some really cool episodes coming up. We've got some more interviews with patients and survivors. We've got some really cool people out in the Midwest and West Coast that are doing some interesting programs with cancer patients and survivors. And then we've got a couple of people from Europe coming on as well to just give us a picture of of what the cancer research and, and the resources for cancer patients are like in europe and and even in ireland too so really cool episodes coming up over the next few months so keep an eye out for them and thanks again for tuning in folks we'll see you soon